you're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Denim Audio Network. Well, hello and welcome to The Way Home Podcast. I'm so glad that you have joined us today. I am Dan Darling, your host, and we have really a great guest in line for you today. One of my favorite guests and friends to come on uh, the podcast. But first, I want to tell you about a couple really cool things. I think first of all, I want to tell you about a special writing cohort that I have started with my friend Chad Poe at Throughline Cohort. I've had a lot of friends, some of you ask me over the years, how do I get started writing? How do I get published? What do I do? What does this look like? Well, I've decided to... uh, to join Chad uh, in his through like through line cohort uh, to offer a special writing cohort. So if you want to know how to get published, how to pitch articles, how to pitch books, but also some nuts and bolts about the writing life, getting started, setting aside time, and what to do to improve your writing and improve your craft, I'd love for you to be a part of this. Uh, we have links to this in the show notes, but you can go to throughlinecohort.com slash writing. That's through T-H-R- O-U-G-H line cohort.com slash writing. You can also go on my social media and see where I posted it, but you can go to my website, danieldarling.com, see links, but we'll have links in the show notes. So check it out. Would love for you to be a part of that. There's only a short time left. We have a couple slots left. We're going to begin this program in February. So if you want to do it, really would like for you to do it now uh, before it's too late. Also, as you're getting ready and thinking and planning, I know it's it seems like it sneaks up on us too soon. But if you're thinking about Easter, what you're going to read over Easter or what you're going to plan for your Easter preaching and messages, we'd love for you to check out my book, The Characters of Easter. This is part of my character series, The Characters of Christmas, Characters of Easter, and Characters of Creation. Check out The Characters of Easter. You can go to danieldarling.com. You could get it at any of your favorite booksellers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Lifeway, independent bookstores, whatever. Uh, you can get it there. Would love for you to be and get that. Okay. I'm excited about this guest today. It's my good friend and former ERLC colleague, uh, Jason Thacker. Jason's been on a number of times before. When I think of how Christians should think about technology, like artificial intelligence or smartphones or social media, there's nobody really on the planet I trust more than Jason Thacker. Jason really is uh, a leading expert on this and not just what should we do what should we do but really the ethics and the theology behind it Uh, jason um, is uh, an ethicist who works at the ethics and religious liberty commission he also teaches at uh, boyce college in louisville a part of southern seminary he's written several books one is the age of ai another one is um, following jesus in the digital age which is both a book and also a, a bible study we'll have links to all this in the uh, to all his books in the show notes but he comes on to just kind of talk about what does it look like how should we think about technology how should we think about it as parents what are some of the pitfalls in in, in thinking about new innovations You'll need to listen to this so that you know how to steward your life in this digital age. So without further ado, let's join our conversation with Jason Thacker. Glad to have my good friend Jason Thacker back here on the Way Home Podcast. Jason, so glad that you are here today. 
back to talk about things we love talking about, uh, technology, culture, all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me back on, Dan. So you have a new book out, Following Jesus in the Digital Age, uh, which is published by B&H. It also has a accompanying Bible study with it. Really great stuff. You know, a lot of the questions I get from parents, from pastors, from people around the country, a lot of them are related to technology. I'm a parent mm-hmm. myself. I got three teens and a preteen, and we're constantly wrestling with how much is too much. Should we give them phones? Should we not? You know, there's a lot of a lot of our conversations today are shaped around this. You know, what's the impact of social media? How should we use it? All of those things. You've really wrestled with a lot of this and 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 more. And so, I guess my first question is just, you know, what what sort of motivated you to create this resource? Yeah, th- this project of all the projects that I've worked on uh, probably has the longest tail on it, meaning that I started on it probably the earliest in some sense in my head. Um, but it was actually the second book. So my first book was The Age of AI, Artificial Intelligence in the Future of Humanity. And one of the things in that cha- when, when I was writing that book kind of stuck out to me was what is technology? So I kind of had this conversation going on about what actually is technology. Is it simply just a tool that we use, that we use for good or for ill? Or is it something that's bigger than that, that may be shaping and forming us in particular ways? So I was kind of wrestling with that question in my first book. Um, It didn't really come to a satisfactory answer, at least for myself. Um, And then I was approached about writing this book specifically after writing a review of The Social Dilemma, which a lot of listeners may be familiar with. It was a Netflix documentary a couple years ago talking about a lot of the the bad aspects of social media, how it's shaping and forming us, our understanding of truth and reality and algorithms and all of these kind of big, scary words uh, that get thrown out in terms of social media today, especially its effect on teenagers. And so I was asked to write this specific book, kind of diving into some of those questions, not only about kind of AI and algorithms, but also about the prevalence of conspiracy theories and fake news and misinformation, Mm -hmm. questions of living in a post-truth world. And how do we as Christians navigate the increasing complexity of the digital world and the kind of the digital age that we inhabit. Yeah. And I, and, and I like the way you frame it because one of the things I've been telling a lot of folks is, look, this is the world God has called us to, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're not called to live in 1950. We're not going to go back to 1950. We're not going to be suddenly become Amish, right? Acts 17 talks about how God sovereignly moves people in the times and places. And so, Part of part of what it means to be faithful to Christ, right, is to say, uh, how do I steward the digital resources? How do I live faithfully in this time and space? Yeah. Uh, we can't wish social media away. We can't wish all this stuff away. How do we do it? And, I, and that's I like kind of the approach you take. That I, I it seems to me there's two equal and opposite reactions with when it comes to to the digital age. One is just complete sort of accommodation of everything. Everything's good. Mm-hmm. No critical, no critical thinking of it or the total opposite reaction of everything new is bad. Everything digital yeah. is bad. We have to just stay away, keep our kids away from all of it. So when you're thinking through that, what, what are some frameworks that you give people to help think through yeah. that? No, I think that's a really helpful way to put it. You see this kind of almost like this unbridled optimism about all the good technology mm-hmm. can do. And when you talk about technology, it's you have to see all the benefits and the good aspects of it. And that's true. There's a lot of truth to that is that God has given us the ability to create these tools. These tools make our lives easier, more convenient, more efficient. But what happens sometimes and steadily and assuredly uh, aspects of that efficiency kind of start to take over. 
where we take a very in ethics we talk about it in a utilitarian mindset where everything mm-hmm. is just a means to an end um, everything yeah. just kind of has a purpose it's a utility and so what it becomes is that every kind of dumbed downs life so you have this kind of unbridled optimism where you have look at all the good that technology brings or you're going to have this like deep pessimism about all the negative effects of technology and in reality when you look at both of those views neither seem to align with the scripture neither seem to align with the way God has created not only given us the ability to create these tools but also the ubiquity and prevalence of sin and brokenness um, and so kind of taking that understanding of it's not all good nor is it all bad and so what I try to do in the book is kind of dive into that a little bit to say the real question that we're asking here is what is technology is it just a tool that we can use for good or use for bad so we really just have to focus on our motivations or is it maybe something bigger than that? And that's where I tried in the book to re, uh, introduce readers to a gentleman named Jacques Ellul. A lot of listeners may or may not be familiar with him. He's a Frenchman, a sociologist, pastor, ethicist, a theologian, that is, and is very, very skilled at kind of helping us push through and kind of push past that idea that technology is just merely a tool that we use. It's actually a tool that we do use, but it's something that's deeply shaping and forming us in particular ways when we use it because these tools have a specific design. They have a specific set of values that are embedded by the people who make them and control them and promote them. There's a reason they want you to be on social media. There's a reason they want you to use new products, not only to capture your data, but to also influence your behavior behavior in good ways and in bad ways. And so when you take a more kind of holistic and what I think is a more biblical approach is you you reject this idea that it's just simply a tool that we use, but you also kind of reject this idea that it's just using us and we have no real agency or responsibility. So that's kind of the idea of what I'm trying to do in the book is kind of balance these two kind of uh, alternate views, philosophical views of technology, but do so in a way that's approachable for the everyday reader. This is not an academic book. Uh, This is not written just for pastors and leaders. This is written for all of us Mm -hmm. to learn how to cultivate wisdom, which I think is the biblical approach. And that's one of the reasons I focus so much on the wisdom literature, in particular Psalms and Proverbs and the book of James in the New Testament, to teach us how to walk through these things. Because one of the biggest kind of lies of our day is that a lot of the new technologies that we we have and a lot of the new problems that we face today, new challenges, we think are novel or unique. And in reality, Mm -hmm. while maybe the method that they're being delivered to us or being sold to us or we're being exposed to them is new, at the core of them, when you start to peel back all the layers, we're actually asking the same age-old questions that we've asked from the very beginning of time. We're just asking them in light of new opportunities, new opportunities to communicate, but it's still levels of pride and vice that are kind of seeing its way out in our conversations online, but also in our conversations in print and our conversation prior to that in community. It, like it doesn't, it's not so much the medium as much, and that does have a large effect on it, but a lot of the Uh, kind of under the surface kind of issues are actually the same issues that we've always asked. And some of the same questions we've always asked is, who is God? What does it mean to be human? And how are we to live in this world? But that's being mediated increasingly through a digital means. And so I think it's high time for Christians to slow down a little bit in an age that wants us to go faster, 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 and be more efficient and convenient and everything to slow down and to seek wisdom which is going to look at the good and the bad, not to throw out either, but to actually dive in and say, how has God created us and how is he calling us to use these tools and how do we cultivate wisdom ultimately to love him and to love our neighbors ourselves? 
Mm, I really like that because, you know, I'm teaching ethics as well. And it's like, you could see how when it comes to our approach to, to, to the digital age, to technology, we could fall off the horse on any one side, right? So Mm -hmm. you mentioned utilitarianism. And I think even Christians sometimes, if we're not careful, can be susceptible to that, right? When we say, well, look every, look at all the ways that technology is able to communicate the gospel. And, and I think that's true. So it's like, it doesn't matter the means, doesn't matter what it's doing to us as long as it's, it's for that end, you know. But on the same time, people on the other end of the spe- uh, I think other end of the spectrum, if you're, if you're kind of skeptical about technology, there's a sense in which you can have an impoverished doctrine of creation, right? Where you view everything new as bad. And so one of the things I try to tell people, and I think you you do really well at this too, is to say, you know, the act of technology is really the act of subduing creation. Now, obviously, we're in a fallen world, right? We're in a sinful world. So the ways in which we subdue creation can be perverted. So really, you know, obviously I have to have a, a spiritual, holistic mindset when it comes to what does it look like yeah. to live that way. And let's talk about, you know, decision-making, you know, because if you're a parent that's listening or teenager that's listening, your college student, you're trying to be wise with your use of technology. What does that look like? I mean, let's, let's think about social media. Let's think about kids and their their phones and, you know, every family's going to have a little bit different guidelines for what that looks like, but what are some basic things that we should be thinking about in order to be wise with our use of technology in a way that glorifies God? Besides obviously getting your book, following Jesus in digital age, please everyone go get (laughs) that book. (laughs) <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, and that's one of the things that when readers pick up a book like this, you may be expecting maybe to have a little conversation about what technology is and then a whole bunch of like, here's five ways to kind of write your relationship with technology. And there are a lot of books out there like that. And I, I praise God for those books. I think a lot of those tips and tricks can be really helpful. But one of the things that we do today, especially, but we've kind of always done this, is we want to jump to the solutions. We want to get to it. We want to be able to fix our fix it, write our relationship with technology move on, move on to something more important. Instead of realizing that we live in a digital age, meaning every single aspect of our life is influenced and shaped in some way or form or another by technology. And that's one of the things that what I do here at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission is help us to see that technology isn't really a separate set of issues per se or questions, but actually an element of all of the big issues that we talk about uh, from religious liberty to human dignity, justice issues. There's an element of technology because we can't actually, no matter what we think, we can't actually kind of cut technology out of our life teetotally and completely. Because we are being shaped by these tools. They are forming us and shaping us. And so it always reminds me when people say, well, what do I do? Well, the kind of the first step, I think, is to recognize the way that technology is shaping you. And what I'll say in the book and I propose is that you're actually being discipled by technology. And I think for a lot of people, that might be kind of a shocker. You're like, no, I'm a disciple of Christ. Well, actually, it's interesting when you look at the data, when you look at the ways that technology forms us and shapes us. Our phones, and I'll, I'll, list, I'll say probably a lot of people are listening to this on their mobile devices, so it's not totally fair, but look throughout your day. Your phone is probably about within an arm's reach or a foot or two of you at all times, all day long and all night long. It's the first thing you look up, look at when you wake up. It's the last thing you look at when you go to bed. When you have that free moment, you're at the stoplight, you're walking down the street, you're talking to a friend, you pull away, you run to the restroom even, you probably pull out your phone. We're with our phones 365 days a year, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. 
when you think about how that's going to shape your perception of the world or even your worldview about how you kind of view the world around you, it's going to have massive and untold effects. Because you think about as, as church people, as people who go to the church and are part of the church, we may at best get maybe 10 hours a week, maybe. And that's being really ambitious about how many times we actually gather together as the church or focus on spiritual things directly. In reality, we're spending hours and hours and hours of more time. It's I don't know why, but it's something about my Apple iPhone, and maybe it's for others too. At about 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, which is the time that I really don't want to get that notification, I get, your screen time was up 50% this week. And you're like, get behind me, Satan. Like, I'm trying to get out the door, get my kids to church. Stop right. telling me how much of my life I've wasted on my phone. I know this. I feel guilty about this. So one of the things we have to realize is that these tools are indeed discipling us. Romans 12, 1 and 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed mm-hmm. by the renewal of your mind. What Paul's saying there, you are being shaped to, the, to, the, to be conformed to this world. You are. It's not a question of if you're being discipled. You are being discipled. So the question is, what is discipling you? What is the primary mm-hmm. discipler? Is it the word of God in the church? Or is it our tools? Or is it a relationship? Or is it a job? What is discipling? discipling you, what is forming and shaping your perception of the world. And so when we get to the practical aspects, I don't want us to skip over these big questions because we can merely kind of address the symptoms, which are important. We should address those things, screen time, app limits, age appropriate things, all that, all that's good. And we should have that. And I hope we continue that part of the conversation, but I don't want us to skip over that big question about what, how, is the, how are these tools shaping us and in what particular ways? That's something I try to do in the book. In the first chapter, I kind of lay out the big picture vision. In the next three chapters, I talk about the way that technology is shaping our perception of truth and reality, how it's shaping our perception of responsibility and what it means to be human, as well as our perception of our identity, not only our identity in Christ, but also our identity as the body of Christ, especially in the midst of a lot of the polarization and tribalization of our day. Yeah, um, that that's really good. I mean, and and I think it seems like we need we need to have these foundational ethics in place because every generation is going to face disruption and challenge, right? And and I think yeah. when I think about technology, we think of technology as gadgets, yeah. but really, if you think about it, the printing press was a major, really disruptive technology to have bound and maybe the books, and it could have the been actually press. the most. Uh, revolutionary piece of technology in the history of the world actually was the printing Seriously. press. It wasn't your iPhone. Yeah. At least I tell my kids that when I try to get them to read, I'm <laughs> like, do you realize this book is an amazing piece of technology? You could take it with you. It's bound. It's, you know, the the wheel was that, you know, there, there's so many things. So mm-hmm. we, we have to be able to handle disruption and, and how, how well do we do that? I'm, I'm curious too, you wrote a book on AI, the age of AI, you know, artificial intelligence, and um, there's this new uh, chatbot, you know, AI yeah. that people have been experimented with. I have gone in there, experimented with. You can you can ask it to write papers. You can ask it to like, you know, draft an email, all that kind of stuff. Um, I found it pretty interesting, but then eventually, as I, I got into it, it seemed like it was kind of turning out kind of boilerplate type stuff. But a lot of people are nervous about artificial intelligence in that it will a replace inter- you know human labor, but also maybe disrupt things like the classroom and the way we teach you, you have cautioned that we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be freaking out about that, that, that we should be aware of it, but it shouldn't alarm us. Maybe talk about some of these things. 
Yeah, that's what I do, especially in this Following Jesus book. Really, the third chapter is kind of focused on responsibility. One of the things that in a digital age that we face, and this is true with AI, but this is true with kind of social media. And I'll say this for listeners who say, hey, I don't utilize artificial intelligence. I don't use this chat bot. I don't use these various forms. You're actually using artificial intelligence every single day, whether you realize it or not. From your communication platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, the algorithms, that's a form of artificial intelligence. The things that you see is are actually highly curated, highly personalized. The ads that you see across the internet are formatted specifically often just for you or people like you. They're targeting. They're very particular. They're very personalized. Not only from communication platforms to our banking to manufacturing to ish, things like Siri. I don't even want to say hey and name her name because she probably will light up on somebody's phone, if not my my own phone and say, oh, I was listening. What do you need? We're utilizing artificial intelligence every single day, every moment of the day, whether we realize it or not. And there's immense benefits to these things. Things are more convenient. They're more at our fingertips. I see ads for things that I might actually want rather than just a whole bunch of random ads, kind of a smattering. Is that kind of personalized approach? The problem with that, though, is, is we start to blame the algorithm as if there's one. There actually isn't. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of algorithms used for very specific purposes, which is what's called narrow AI. I think a lot of times when we think of AI, we just think is like one big bucket. It's just all artificial intelligence. That's true, but there are very specific kind of subtypes. One is narrow artificial intelligence. It's the only AI we've ever created, by the way. It's, it can either turn up my temperature, turn it up and down. It can transcribe something. Maybe it can answer an essay prompt uh, that I put in the chat GPT. And there's also something called general artificial intelligence. Um, that's something we've never been able to create. That's a human level intelligence. And then something sci-fi kind of movie related in terms of super intelligence. We don't have to dig into those. But I want folks to see that there actually are, there's a lot of complexity with technology. And specifically with artificial intelligence, there's a lot of advantages to it. And so I don't want us to kind of write it off and say it's all bad uh, when there's actually a lot of good that can come from it. But again, you have to come back to some of those fundamental questions that we were talking about earlier especially with social media, is what is technology? How is it forming and shaping us? And specifically with AI, it's causing us to kind of question what does it mean to be human? So much of our existence, especially even in the church, we've just assumed what it meant to be human was to be like a rational creature. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. So I don't want to discredit that tradition. But I do want to say there's something more going on there. Because what happens when you have a machine or an algorithm or albeit maybe in the future a robot that can mimic or imitate human behavior that can write an essay for you or can answer an email or carry a conversation? That seems to be rational. Now, we may debate kind of getting the fine tune about what does rationality actually mean, and that's a philosophical discussion we can have another time. But it does challenge the ability to use language or to write or to engage or to carry a conversation. That challenges some of the ways that we've historically defined what it meant to be human. So I think naturally and kind of understandably, we start to get a little uneasy, if not start to freak out about the advances in artificial intelligence. But at the core of it, who you are is created in God's image in a particular way, but not you're not just a list of attributes. You're not just a list of, um, of components. You're not just a brain. You're not just, you're much more than that. You're a human being. You're created in the very image of God, the Imago Dei, unique from the rest of creation. So nothing, 
no matter how advanced artificial intelligence gets, will ever replace what it means to be human. It cannot change that fundamental reality because who you are isn't how smart you are. It's not about what you do. That's a very utilitarian mindset to human dignity is your values based on what you contribute or what you do. You're much more than that. And that's the core of the Christian ethic. That's core of the theological and philosophical traditions within the church is that what you are is you're created in the very image of God and nothing will ever be able to change that. Thus, from that kind of mantle and that foundation, we can then engage some of these pressing and sometimes confusing and quite overwhelming questions about what do we do with some of these new forms of artificial intelligence or these new technologies that are, if we're being honest, kind of freaky. I mean, there's some cool aspects to it with uh, the chat GPT, uh, but there's also some areas you're going, ah, that kind of makes me feel a little uneasy um, or I don't know how to navigate that. And that's what I hope to do in all of my work is to help the church think better and to be better equipped to address the challenging issues of technology from a place, a robust understanding of Christian ethics and our moral tradition. The Bible is more than a sufficient guide to navigate these questions, but we have to slow down and dig into the God's word to see how these principles apply to an ever-changing world. I want to encourage folks to get this book, Following Jesus in Digital Age. We'll have links to it in the show note. And there's a great Bible study. So if you want to do this with your church or your small group, it's really excellent with a video and a Bible study there. I really think it's so important what you're saying, like having these foundational ideas and, and, and ethics uh, in order to navigate this world. I love what you said about humanity too, that, you know, in some ways it's forcing us as the church to, you know, to recover a really good theology of the body, yeah. a really good idea that we are whole people. We're not just brains. We're not just souls, but we're, we're, we're whole people uh, that our mm-hmm. physical bodies matter. And I think to the eschatological hope of the Bible that, you know, when everyone is worried about, are the robots going to take over? Is AI going to completely yep. get rid of human work and all that? We don't want to be naive about those realities, but we do know that Christ has promised to renew and restore the world, to yeah. raise human beings from the dead, that humans will live on. And so that we don't have to kind of succumb to some of those, you know, irrational fears about some of these things. Um, and we can, you know, we can use technology for good ends, right? Talk a little bit about social media too. One of the things I've been, I've been saying to people is that, as you said so well, that we have to, we have to be, we have to see how these things are discipling us, how they're, how are they forming us? And really, some of the roots of our polarization uh, in the church and outside of the church are really spiritual formation issues, right? Who are we letting shape but form us? Are mm-hmm. they pundits and pastors and people online, or are they are local church, local communities and scripture? But one of the things I, I thought about is even if the algorithms on social media net platforms reward a certain kind of behavior, we, did, we don't necessarily have to go along with that, right? We can be countercultural yep. even in the way we use social media, right? Like we can – can we not turn it around and use social media for good? Yeah, you really can. And that's one of the things that I try to cast a vision for in the book is that it's not all bad, nor is it all good. We have to take a very realist approach and a very, as you said, kind of a an optimistic, an eternal optimistic approach. I'm a tech optimist. I think technology is great and it's a good thing that God has given us the ability to create – 
But I also know that these technologies have certain values. Uh, there's a certain design um, for these tools. And they that indeed shapes our behavior, not only with and kind of engagement with the tools, but also the engagement with other people, where especially today, we're starting to see some of the negative effects of technology, whether it's from disinformation and misinformation, fake news, over to kind of the increasing polarization and starting to kind of treat other people as just an avatar that we can engage with ever how we want versus a human being that's created in the very image of God, just like you and I. And so I, we indeed can utilize these tools for good. But one of the ways we can we have to br- kind of break out of the patterns of this world and the way we use these things. And part of that is going to be kind of one of the most practical things we can do is to slow down. It can be implementing time limits. It can be slowing down. It can be disconnecting. It can having a season or a day or even a whole vacation or two, which kind of sounds crazy for some of us not to have our phones at all or to only have them what's quote uh, called a dumb phone in the sense it can call people and make text messages, which, you know, our send text messages, which is, you know, it's kind of uh, pretty smart compared to most of the history of the world. They would think we're pretty advanced having that, much less being able to have social media and email and Internet and all of those things is to kind of step back and to be able to cultivate wisdom, have our eyes opened by the word of God and the spirit of God to understand and to see things as they really are, not just the way we want them to be. And when we start to do that, we can have better eyes to understand. So for myself, even after writing this book and doing interviews and thinking more about these things and writing about more about these things, I've even altered kind of the way that I use social media even in the last few months. And I think this is something that we all do, not as individuals as much as doing it in community with one another. Because one of the big promises of social media was that it was going to bring us all together. It was going to create deeper and lasting bonds and communities. I remember that. And there's an element of truth to that. I know people, quote, no, and I'll put that in air quotes for folks that are listening. Um, I know them, but I don't really know them. But I do have some type of almost like a surface level connection or even a friendship. So much so that when I meet some of these people that I've, quote, met online, I'll say it's really good to meet you finally. Because I'm actually able to have a conversation face to face. We were created for that embodied relationship. That's how God created us as human beings. So there's a lot of benefits to these things. But when they start to replace community, when they start to replace relationships or even take over where we're more glued and tied to our phones and the people right in front of us, that's a problem. And that's actually one of the negative things that ways uh, technology shaping and forming specifically with social media. And so it's not that I say, you know, get rid of your Twitter account or get rid of your Instagram or uh, your Facebook account, for example. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe that's actually a wise step. But wisdom isn't just a one size fits all approach. It's actually looking at you where you're uniquely tempted, uh, your unique context. And starting to do that within community, not as isolated individuals, which is really the rallying cry of our modern society is you are who you are, your truth, your reality. You know, you get to define those things. It's all about you, 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 you. The biblical ethic and the biblical mindset, especially with technology, is this isn't about you. It's about God. It's always been about God. This is a God-centered perspective rather than a man-centered perspective. So when we start to have that kind of God-centered perspective, that can really only be uh, received and seen through the light of biblical wisdom. It can help us to have a better understanding of technology, how it's forming and shaping us, but also what to do about it. Um, and that's where a lot of times, and so specific, specifically at the end of the book, um, if you're a pastor or a ministry leader, I encourage you, check out the appendix. I wrote it just for you. Leading in a digital age is a very difficult thing. 
Mm. Not only because you're already being pulled in a thousand different ways, but now you're being asked to comment on random Bob, you know, Twitter account and what he said. Or are you going to respond to that? Or are you going to say something publicly? And, well, I heard this person say this or this person. What pastor? What do you think about that? And now pastors are being asked to weigh in and to talk about and to comment on a thousand different issues because the phones, our phones are discipling our people more than maybe we are. And so I think that puts a unique pressure on leaders. And I try to not alleviate that per se, but to help leaders frame that up better in light of the biblical wisdom. So I try to do that in the appendix. So if you're a pastor or ministry leader, I really encourage you to check out uh, that appendix about specifically about leading in a digital age, because I think that's really key for us to kind of cultivate better sensibilities and uh, cultivation of wisdom for how we navigate that with our people. Because again, not only you, pastor, ministry leader, are being discipled, but your people are as well. And so the question is, again, not are you being discipled, but what is discipling you and to what end and to what purpose? Is it to glorify God or is it to glorify yourself? That's a really good word and a great place to end our conversation with Jason Thacker, who uh, does amazing work at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, also teaches at Boyce College and is an author and of numerous books, including Following Jesus in Digital Age, this and the Companion Study Guide. Seriously, recommend this for your church. Every church, every pastor really needs to help equip their people in this age. What does it look like to use technology responsibly, to use social media responsibly? Pastors, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. This is here. You could use this as a springboard for a sermon series or have your small groups go through it. We'll have links to it in the show notes. Jason, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks, Dan. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. Podcast.